0: Everybody is passionate about something. Is it disabilities? Is it, or you know, do you have a family member that opens that up to you? Do you have a veteran in your family and you're inspired by veterans? Are you inspired by women? If philosophically you can find something that's a cause for you, and then you can apply that to how you do your spend within the work that you do within our procurement teams, you'll have more of a, a likelihood of adapting that further with other distinctions.
1: Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity, with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore, joined today by Matt Colacello. And in today's episode, we're joined by Courtney Williams, Supplier Diversity Manager at Evergy. Evergy delivers utility services to 1.8 million residential and commercial customers to homes and businesses in Kansas and Missouri. Their electricity reaches about four and a half million people powering, as they say, the most important life moments. In the heart of america regular breaking barriers listeners know that we're particularly interested in the intersection of the energy and utility industry economic development and supplier inclusion so we're extra excited today to have courtney on the show so courtney welcome to today's episode so glad to have
0: you with us welcome courtney thank you both very happy to be a part of the breaking barriers fam hello everyone and how are you today
2: so great you know, can't complain, can't complain. So <laughs> it's always good. Love it when we have a guest like you with high energy that can bring it. So already we're starting <laughs> off with a, a, a great step. So awesome. But, you know, the show is basically recorded here on the East Coast. So we're probably as a, a majority of our listeners probably aren't that familiar with Evergy. To start us off, tell us a bit about Evergy and your role with them.
0: Well, Adam, you did a great job kind of encapsulating who we are and where we are. We're in the Midwest. We span kind of from the Kansas City area and we go up to Wichita. So we do, we cross state lines. So we are in the Missouri and the Kansas side. We are a company that believes that we're energy that moves us forward. And so we are regulated and we have about 62,000 miles of transmission and distribution, 800 substations, and we're completely invested in next-gen infrastructure.
2: I can only imagine the Midwest as we're looking at the economic downturn and everything that we've got going on as we're recording this episode. I can Uh imagine that's got to be very difficult for you guys, right? Because again, like you said, regulated industry. So the government tells us how to run (laughs) our businesses. Uh, When I was in supply diversity, I was in banking and investing. So I totally know what that space looks like. So yeah, that's going to be very challenging for you guys.
0: Yeah, any any public utility, right? Because we mm-hmm. have to provide power to the people. You know, there's other concerns that folks have about becoming carbon neutral, which we plan to do by 2040. And so, it's going to be some interesting times ahead for for all of us.
3: So, we are really excited to dive into that sort of next gen energy piece uh-huh. and the carbon neutral piece, the sustainability piece. But before we go there, because as Adam mentioned, we are really interested in how energy and utility companies are connecting supplier inclusion and economic impact with that sustainability, those sustainability goals. But before we go there, we love hearing about how supplier diversity professionals got to the roles that they're in now, just kind of understanding your journey and evolution. So tell us more about you, Courtney.
0: My journey into supplier diversity. So I relocated to Kansas City a little less than 10 years ago, Through a death in the family, (laughs) but it brought me closer to my brother who was here at the time. Um, And so I ended up, I've done a lot of work kind of in the nonprofit space and education space, but I ended up getting a position at Evergy in the community relations department. Okay. That's like corporate philanthropy that Evergy does. And so the cool thing about Kansas City at the time is that it had a very illustrious startup entrepreneur economy system here that I was able to become a part of, which also the education systems are a part of. So I had kind of come into that space around education, but then kind of got like steeped in the whole, which they call us Silicon of it all in Kansas city. So it was like a natural fit for me to move into this role because of what I had already been kind of doing on the, um, in my own time.
2: Right. Okay that's excellent you know and i think that's that's a common theme i think that matt and i and chloe hear a lot when we talk to other supplier diversity practitioners is you know nobody goes to school to be the supplier diversity officer it's kind of a a happy accident almost for all of us as we fall into this role and then we fall in love with the ability to work with small and diverse suppliers to help better their businesses, help better the communities that they work in and, and hire from. So that's an, that's an awesome story.
0: Yeah, it it is. We do, you do fall in love with it. I will agree with you on that note. I've always been interested in being a bridge for mm-hmm. other folks to get to the information to provide yes. information and access blah 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 and so this job very much speaks to what i believe at my core and then also kind of just being a conduit for sharing information that can be cha- can be life changing if implemented mhm
2: mhm mm. and it can be right it can be it can be uh, transformative almost
0: absolutely
2: So, Courtney, how would you describe challenges and mindsets building a more more inclusive supplier chain? You have to make that align then with Evergy's overall mission as an energy company, right? So how do you spin that story internally? Because that's very important, too, right? Because you have to build those internal allies, uh, those internal champions. How does it align with the overall mission of Evergy?
0: So the first thing, when I first saw this question, I laughed because it says, how can you make the supply chain more diverse? And I'm thinking, oh, hire more diverse people in the supply chain. Right. So right. If, mm-hmm. that's always the
2: easy answer. Sure. Yes.
0: <laughs> right. So that's if you have diverse people, they are, are part of a marginalized class and they're constantly thinking about inclusion, because if you are a person of color or you have an affinity group that is not you know, in the majority, you're more apt to pay attention to that. And that's one of my philosophies, with DE&I, which is, uh, which is supplier diversity as well, which is what's your passion, right? So everybody is passionate about something. Is it disabilities? Is it, or, you know, do you have a family member that opens that up to you? Do you have a veteran in your family and you're inspired by veterans? Are you inspired by women? And so I feel like, if philosophically you can find something that's a cause for you and then you can apply that to how you do your spend within the work that you do within our procurement teams, um, you, you'll have more of a, a likelihood of adapting that further with other distinctions.
3: Right. So connecting it with something personal.
0: Yes. Make right. it personal.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, as far as Evergy is concerned, Supplier diversity is a pillar of DEI at our company. We have three pillars, which is marketplace, workforce, and workplace. And so workforce and workplace are more so concerned with people, whereas marketplace is concerned with spend, which is to me the corporate social responsibility of it all, which is how are we spending our money and not just dealing with our people?
2: Right. <laughs> Yeah. Right, and that's that's a very a very important part of it too, right? And that is is one of the points that a lot of people don't realize when they get into biodiversity is how do you balance that? I have to take care of stakeholders, shareholders, and the different uh, risk factors that a company looks at onboarding. Because what people we talk about on the show all the time, onboarding a new company, whether diverse, traditional, large, small, doesn't matter. That's always the number one risk point for any firm because you don't know what type of actors you're about to bring into your your company. And so you really kind of wind up in as, as supplier diversity, you know, being a forward face for the firm. You're also a risk officer. You're also a liaison to all these different affinity groups like you're talking about. You really start finding out quickly that you've got to change hats quickly in this role.
0: Yes, because they they think everyone, you know, they refer to supply and diversity as diversity. You know, I want to talk about diversity. Well, that's a big <laughs> that's a, big it's a huge conversation, conversation. right. right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So at Evergy, we have been doing supply diversity for over 40 years. So oh, I would awesome. love to say that, Bro. yeah. So it's almost, it, they're a visionary in understanding how, how diverse spend can impact our company and, and the communities that we serve.
3: So, so important. And then that attitude, as you were saying, when it becomes personalized, it also then becomes easier to have stakeholders within the company mm-hmm. get behind inclusive procurement.
0: Yeah. Like if you can say, oh, I know I want to work with, I love working with this veteran owned business. It can then easily become to say, oh my gosh, you know, my friend Maria has a company that I want to bring in the company and it's Hispanic owned. And it becomes easier to kind of increase your passions in that space.
2: Yeah. Right, and it normalizes the conversation, and then people don't feel odd. I use yeah. air quotes. You can't see that on a podcast, <laughs> right? But they don't feel I odd about having. The, your
1: thank you, thank you. <laughs> you have
2: to do it a little differently when it's all voice. Mm-hmm. They don't feel odd, right, about having the conversation or bringing it up. Or like, ooh, should I mention my friend's Hispanic business? Should I even yeah. mention it's a Hispanic business to begin
0: with? So I really applaud that. That's awesome. But there's a caveat there, too, because you can talk to many diverse businesses and they don't want to lead with their diversity distinction. They don't. Yes, they do not. Uh, Because they are just a business. And what happens is they fall into this category. I'm using air quotes as well. Excellent. Where they feel like, you know, oh, they're only using me because I'm diverse, but I can do the same business as another business. And that's the, the fear for them there because they don't want to just be a diversity spend requirement. They want to be a business that is capable and can do the work. And they are.
2: Exactly. It's a little bit of a double-edged sword. It's important for us to make sure that we are spending with diverse firms, but we also need to make sure that we're treating them on the merits of the business, the services and the quality product that they provide us.
0: I love that. Absolutely. Yes.
3: I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more because you, you started off by talking about your interest in diverse entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship and the, the environment that you came to Kansas City in a decade ago. How do you interface with diverse entrepreneurs as a supplier diversity professional at Evergy? What kinds of programs do you have? How do you outreach to the community?
0: Oh, big question, but I love it. So I would interact with a diverse business in the same way that I would act with any business. You know, we have a lot of small businesses and local businesses that we're trying to get into our supply chain as well that may not necessarily be diverse. But for, for me and for the company, we're interested in building economic justice. And the, one of our pillars is uh community vitality, right? And Mm. all of those things lead to generational wealth in our communities. Mm -hmm. And so if we're providing, you know, keeping the lights on for folks in our network, we want to make sure we're doing the same for the businesses and we're growing them because they make our communities more vital. They can be life-changing for communities. Um, And so to be a part of that structure to kind of usher that in for a business is just makes me feel joy and i hope that the companies that are able to be impacted by that as well
3: that is awesome absolutely and you know we we were going to ask you to talk about how energy and utilities companies with their particular mandate to be an economic development engine how that connects with supplier inclusion but i feel like you basically just answered that question that but by, by doing that work in the community by ensuring that diverse communities get access to the supply chain, you you are doing that economic development work and you're, you're doing economic justice work, essentially.
0: We're trying to. And the hard part about it is just that with the supply chain constraints and, you know, all of the kind of different things that happen being in the middle of the country, there are, there are specific challenges when it comes to that as well. Right. So we know that we're dealing with business, larger businesses, prime businesses. And then we're dealing with subcontracting. And so it's just trying to kind of weave the thread where we can touch all of those pieces. And if we can, if we can't use your business, how can we act as a agent of community service, right? To provide additional training, education, resources for the suppliers that maybe can't work with us. And so one of the things I love most about um, supplier diversity professionals and Adam, you can probably echo me on this thought is that we network across. And so being able to have businesses that maybe I can't use but I can share with another utility or another construction company in the area, being able to kind of usher in subcontracting opportunities for them, being able to kind of not just work with the companies just for Evergy, but within the network of Evergy, is um, exciting.
2: That is a crucial point that you brought up, Courtney, that as supplier diversity professionals, we need to open up our Rolodexes and we need to be willing to make that call to our counterpart in ABC Construction, right? Or the friend that I have over in Water and Sewer to let them know about these firms that we're working with, to be that personal reference, because a lot of times some of the uh, hurdles of getting in as a, as a diverse business is just people believing you can do what you say you do.
0: Getting a cosign, right? Yeah, a exactly. Over. But I will tell you this as well. So people may use a diverse supplier. They may use a diverse supplier and think, wow, they messed up. I'm not going to use them again. So they have far less of a runway to fail or make an honest mistake And then it's blamed on diversity.
2: Mm. It tanks the pool for the other suppliers behind them.
0: Yes. Yeah. You
2: know, I've seen that too. Most definitely.
0: But you may use a prime company that messes up all the time because you're used to working with that prime company.
2: Right. Right. And then the, then the excuse is, well, everybody uses them. Right. And yeah, there's definitely some unconscious bias that we see in our, our
3: supplier managers for sure. Let's talk about that what are some common myths and misconceptions, I guess, about both supplier diversity as, as, a, as a field or a, or a program within a company, and then also about diverse suppliers that you find yourself encountering. And I think in particular, based on what you've shared about your part of the Midwest, particularly in your region. And can you set some of those straight, Courtney, right here, right now?
0: Common misconceptions are that um, diverse suppliers aren't on par with other suppliers, right? That their work is a gimme. Okay. Like we're just filling a checkbox, right. Or they're given um, opportunities because of that status and that they didn't necessarily win that contract based on their capabilities. Um, And all of that is just untrue. Uh, Diverse supplier is no different than any other supplier, Except for the fact that they fill a diversity distinction, that's the thing that needs to change related to mindset. And so that's how we straighten that out. We, uh, how we also straighten it out is just bring in amazing companies that can do the work. And so once they see those that the, they're capable and able to do the work, there's more buying, you know? Then they want to know more about who they know. you know? How can we use you more?
2: Yeah, exactly. And and once you kind of get that buy-in, you know, then have that person tell their story to their their friends and and never underestimate the power of reporting. Uh, I know I've talked about this before on the show. Uh, one of my favorite things to do was to take reporting on diverse bin by business unit, by division, however it is, and then go to somebody who's maybe lagging a little bit and say, I just want to let you know, I'm going to take this to your boss and your other two partners are doing this much spend and you're doing this little of spend. I'm just going to let you know. I just want to let you know. I don't want you to be blindsided, right? I'm your friend. It's amazing how when they start to see it in black and white in numbers and dollars and tracking, even if their their bonus isn't tied to it, they still don't want to be number three of three, right? You don't get to those positions that these people are in because you're a non-competitive person. Those are some of the most competitive people I've ever met in my entire life, regardless of industry, regardless of business size. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, how do I get my number up there? I was like, well, I just happen to be your guy. Let's talk. Let me bring in some folks. So I'm with you on all of that.
0: You're, you're absolutely right, Adam. Reporting data and Linux and numbers are a supplier diversity professional's best friend. Yes. Um, and so you can say this is what your business unit is doing. This is what your team is doing. Um, This is what it looks like, but you have to make it real for them, right? And so we have an economic impact report that shows how our spend impacts the communities that we serve and what that looks like in dollars and cents. What does that look like and relate to pay to other folks in the company? It's absolutely important to not only have those numbers because supplier diversity is just important in life because equity, parity, inclusion is just important to the ecosystem of humankind overall, right? And so yes. if we can, if we can pro- provide quantitative data on that, um, then we can, uh, again, again, make it more real for the uh, other professionals that we're working with. I can't yes.
3: agree more. Data transparency creates the accountability that organizations and individuals need.
2: And then shareholders and potential customers want to see. Yes.
0: Yeah.
2: Should want to see, right? Should like, want to see. Yes. Right. And if they don't want to see it, we need to educate them and say, hey, you, you need to know this number. Mm-hmm. Right. And
0: why it's important to our community.
2: I had a CPO that we did an economic impact study, mm-hmm. walked it into his office. He looks at it and he goes, we did a billion dollars of impact inside the different communities that these, these businesses work in. I go, yeah, it's kind of amazing. He goes, now was this special projects. He goes, kind of like what you were talking about, right? Courtney, people assume it's like, Oh, this was the special diverse project. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm working it in a very large bank and, I was asked that question. It's like, are these special projects that we've we put them in or, is, or was this, I was like, no, these are competitive projects. And this is stuff that we buy in the bank day in, day out so that we run our business. So he goes, let me get this straight. We're doing a billion dollars to impact buying things that we need anyway to run this bank. And these are not special projects that you guys have said, Oh, let's give this to so. And so I was like, no, exactly. Competitive day to day run and burn of the bank. And he's like, We've got to do more of this. This is impactful. This is what we've got to do more. And you've got to love those moments, right? When the, the light bulb kind of comes on, you're like, yes, I've got another champion. Here we go.
0: Well, what you're speaking to is policies, practices, and procedures, right? Yes. Not exactly. businesses being a magical unicorn. Even though they're my special babies and I love them like a magical unicorn. Oh yes. We want to have <laughs> systems, policies, procedures that make it easy to be inclusive in your spend and your bid opportunities and all of that. That is just, you know, what corporate social responsibility looks like if it's embedded in into the practice of what you do.
2: Yeah. You know, and I think that was great. It's almost like you had our script in front of you (laughs) because you mentioned you mentioned the the next topic I want to touch on real fast is we're kind of coming to the the end of our our very enjoyable interview with you. And that is what are you guys doing in the sustainable part of it? Because now ESG CSR has come to land, uh, if not squarely in the laps of supplier diversity professionals. We're tied very closely to it. We are a key metric or a key contributor to these reports. So what are you guys doing there at Evergy in the ESG CSR area, especially in in your part of it there, Courtney?
0: Well, we're doing the same thing we do in all of our business units. We're making sure that we have the, the policies, practices, procedures all together, and we're extending our support to those regions to make sure that we are providing, you know, access to suppliers that can do the work we're working in tandem with their teams with reporting and making sure everything is together because now it is married. Right. Which I think it's a great marriage. I think it's a great marriage. I think it it will do a lot for the diversity side of things. Right. When we think of marrying in um, the ESG stuff. And so once you kind of put that together, I think it just expands their ability to understand what we're trying to do, which is good for our community.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, the space with wind, solar, you know, all of those areas, the burgeoning areas, right? They've been around for a little while, but now they're kind of floating more so. So finding uh, diverse suppliers in those areas is a challenge.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. But it's not a
0: challenge. It's a challenge we're not afraid to face.
3: I love that. <laughs> right? No, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that past guests from utilities companies have highlighted is that the whole industry, is hardening infrastructure, is transitioning to renewables, is committing to carbon neutrality. And that is taking hundreds of billions of dollars to accomplish. And it also takes a whole generation of new businesses that are needed to accomplish all of the many pieces of that effort across the country. And so this is really an opportunity to spend billions of dollars on new diverse entrepreneurs in the energy and utility space. Um, So it's just, it's, it's really, even though all of this is being done to correct for our horrible environmental practices, historically, it's also so positive because it's creating this economic engine that can be used to create equity.
0: And I will say, I'll jump in and say, if you are interested in subcontracting to anybody in the renewable space, find out what type of, um, I don't know, bumper sticker that they need for their organization, because they'll be looking for you because they're going to have to report to Diverse Spend uh, for the companies that they work with, too.
3: Yep. The ever-present tier two reporting. Yes. So that's excellent advice for our suppliers among our listeners. Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask about ecosystem building because you've oh, been yeah. touching on it a lot. Mm. What I hear a lot of in what you're talking about, especially when you mentioned like working across and reaching out to the community is just something that I continually reflect on, which is that supplier diversity professionals are the community organizers oh. of, you uh, know, in, in a way of, of procurement or even of the whole oh, corporate yeah. world. huh. And so ecosystem is a big ecosystem building is a big part of that, especially when you're trying to cultivate entrepreneurs and businesses in a particular sector. Those businesses aren't just going to work for your company. They're going to be part of a whole ecosystem where, in the region where they're working for multiple companies that need their services. Talk more about ecosystem building. And you've touched on some of the things you are doing. What else would you like to see done that you would like to be doing and then also that you'd like to see other professionals in your region doing to build a supplier diversity ecosystem there?
0: So one of the things that we're doing, so we, our supplier diversity uh, department is absolutely stoked about just being invested in the supplier diversity community in general. Number one, they can help you with best practices overall. And then, like we discussed previously, they can be a resource to you for things that you may need or people that you may need access to couple of things that Evergy is doing on that front is that we are a part of the CEO to CEO challenge in the Kansas City area. And our CEO, David Campbell, signed the um, CEO to CEO challenge pledge to increase supplier diversity in the community. And so it's for partnerships like that that is brought together by Connectus Worldwide, Casey Rising, and Casey SourceLink to prioritize diverse spend within the Kansas City area and that community. And having our CEO be able to sign that among, the, they're trying to get a hundred corporations to sign this pledge. And so we're, we were at the forefront of that. So partnerships with those organizations, like I mentioned earlier, help us to be a part of those challenges to bring them internally to our company. Other things that we're doing, we do, we love mentorship. We love doing supplier spotlights, but we have two mentorship programs. One is our Light Source Executive Mentorship Program, where we pair businesses in the community with a... Uh, VP level and above uh, mentor, and they can be put together for the period of a year or two. And then we are currently partnering with, and this is when we're talking about ecosystem, Matt, we are partnered with Burns & McDonald, which is a, a large corporation in our area. And we're providing training to 20 businesses for each of our different cohorts. We also add in 20 procurement professionals to help mentor during that time. And it's done with RGMA. And so they come in and provide the training, but we provide the people and we have built this program together called Accelerate for businesses in our community. And so if it weren't for having an ecosystem where the folks at Burns McDonald reach out to us and said, hey, we want to do this program do you want to do it with us, we're learning together. We're building together. And to see those, we can't have those type of opportunities if we're not connected within our system.
3: Yes. I love that. I love hearing about how so many major cities do have these growing ecosystems for, for, in many ways, I think it comes down to economic justice. Uh So I love hearing about that. We've been sort of making contact with more and more companies, advocacy organizations, and diverse suppliers that are all coming together in different cities and regions across the country to build programs and projects like this. So that's so, so great to hear.
0: Well, let me ask you this too, Matt and Adam. Um, You guys are bringing together all these supplier diversity professionals and folks that are in the industry. What's your plan for the community and ecosystem you're building?
2: That is an amazing question. (laughs) And one that we're actually working on, right? So, You're right. So we have built quite a network of business owners and corporate partners, whether they're supplier diversity professionals or buyers inside their organizations. And we're working on trying to put together a, a, you know, our first kind of half day seminar network. So again, like I was talking about earlier, opening up the Rolodex and exposing people to other thought leaders, to other business owners, that type of thing. Because the number one thing that we hear a lot of is the networking piece of it, right? We just we just need to network. I just need to know who is the right contact. I need to be able to start developing that relationship. So really trying to do kind of a grassroots mingling almost, like I said, a, a just a meet and greet.
0: I know the community would appreciate it. Oh, yes. Having access to so many people with separate thoughts and um, really great ideas and really, you know, fascinating ways of working and bringing those together sounds like a great opportunity.
3: Yeah. It's all about best practices sharing. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. Benchmarking.
3: Exactly. (laughs) Oh, yes. There are a lot of incredible efforts that have been launched in parallel that are unfortunately not intersecting. And so we're thinking about ways to have all those efforts intersect, share, mutually reinforce each other across regions and cities and sectors. So we are just kind of continuing to think about that. One thing that that we're launching this year is that we're making Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground available at conferences. So we're approaching conferences saying... Adam and Chloe want to host a live event with some of the great speakers that you have at this conference. We'll incorporate some live questions from the audience, and then that will be a podcast episode. And we're going to just try to bring together as many people through these live events, because one of the reasons the podcast was started was because we felt like the national conversation happens at our 20 some odd conferences over four months a year when everyone's traveling and meeting each other across the country. But then... The conversation doesn't continue as robustly throughout the rest of the year. So, this podcast is a, is a way to have that continue all throughout the year. And we want to thread together now more closely with the conference spaces as well and kind of bring what we do into, the, into their culture and their culture into ours. Exactly.
2: Because sometimes it just makes it just, you have to be the one to make the introduction, the handshake, mm-hmm. and then the magic happens.
0: Absolutely. And, and the conversations don't stop, they just become siloed. Right. So you're talking yes. in a, in a, in a, in a closed room. And so kind of bringing to the forefront, all of these things and tying them together is just a really great opportunity.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you interviewed us for a moment there, Courtney. I know. I love it.
2: I love it. We had, we had the roles, the, the chairs were flipped there for a second.
0: <laughs> I have more questions, but I'll stop there.
2: <laughs> we, might, we might have to get you your own show.
0: Hey, I, <laughs> hey, let me know I'm available. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, you know, I'm sure our listeners do have one final question for you, right? And if they're out there, if they're in the Midwest, or maybe they're on, you know, uh, in one of the coasts, but they want to reach out and connect with Evergy, connect with you and your team, hopefully they're one of these ESG CSR stars that we're looking for out there that we're all hunting for. How would they connect with you and Evergy to start that conversation?
0: They can start by visiting our website, and that's just simply Evergy.com, and that's E-V-E-R-G-Y.com. They can also use the backslash supplier diversity um, if they're looking to learn more about our program, or they can use the backslash suppliers to directly register to do business with us. But if they have questions in the meantime, they can email our supplier diversity team at supplier.diversity at Evergy.com. Now, if you're looking to connect with me personally, you can email me at Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-U-I dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S at Evergy.com.
2: I love that you just gave out your personal email. That is not. I'm here for the people. I know. I think that is awesome. (laughs) And we have very few guests that do that. So thank you for throwing down that challenge, Courtney, to all of our future guests to Put out that personal email for our listeners to reach out to you directly. Thank you so much for doing that.
0: Hey, you yeah, can't, you can't build the system without an email address.
2: Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes, well, indeed. Courtney, thank you so much for coming on our show today. It has been an absolute joy to get to it know has. you over this half hour thank and you. for you sharing so much with us. So thank you again. Absolutely. And to all of our listeners, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn, and that's at Chloe Goodry Reed, at Adam A. Moore, at Matt Colicello at Courtney Williams. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out all of our previous episodes and stay tuned for what's coming up next time. Thank you all very much.